Okay. I think. Am I on? I'm on. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. Um, glad to see you guys here. I know it's summer. I know it's hot. I know we got things to do. There's so much going on. Um, how many people are heading out to Taylor Swift tonight? Okay. George. I knew George would be there. <laughs> Second night, right? You were there last night, and you could be back again today. Yeah. Yeah, I knew, I knew George was a Swifty for sure. Um, <laughs> so, hey, um, so glad that you guys are here. Um, I think that we've got, uh, I think the Lord gave me another good message for us today. Um, but I want to I touch on something really quick that we talked about during the announcements. Um, Pastor Scott passed out these cards. We do these things not because, hey, we've got nothing else to do. Let's just go ahead and do that. Our heart is 100% to get this body of Christ engaged. Get them engaged with each other. Get them engaged with the Lord. Get them engaged with studying the Bible. That's my personal passion is just to, to ignite an excitement for studying the Bible. And if you've never done it, start something just simple. Pick something and, and just do a simple study. And you'll find that it's one of those things that the more you study it, the more amazing that it gets. I sat at a, at a, we had a hockey get-together, hockey party uh, yesterday, and guys were just like, they were talking, now this is a hockey team, right, full of young guys, younger than me, and they're all talking, to, they talked about wine and, and the different kinds of grapes and things. They talked about fly fishing, like not at all what I expected, but the thing is when you're passionate about something, you get excited about studying it and about, and the more you learn about it, the more there is to learn about it and the more you want to learn about it. And I just saw these guys just getting so passionate and excited about discussing those things. And I thought, it's been a while since I talked to somebody other than Pastor Gabe who, and maybe Kayla who's so excited about uncovering new things, discovering new things as they study the Word of God. And, and my heart is just to ignite that. And so... Um, before I get into the message, we, we talked about changing up our Wednesday night format into more of a Bible study kind of a format. I really would challenge you to pray about coming. Pray about it and, and see what the Lord has for you. When we were in our other building, before we even left, I, I made a promise that we were going to try and do some either Bible studies before service on a Sunday or different different opportunities for people to get together and go deeper. And people really wanted that. Many of you sitting here said that I really want that. And then, of course, moving and all the things get in, in the way, and that got delayed a little bit. But this fulfills a promise that I made to you guys, that we would find a way to be able to go deeper together. And so this is something, again, can be couples, can be individuals, can be youth, can be anybody who wants to come? It's Wednesday night. A lot of us don't have a lot going on on Wednesday night. I realize that some do, but I want to challenge you to come. Now, this goes against all conventional church wisdom. Don't start something new in the summer because people have things going on. I get that. But if you can, I would love to see that because we're going to be seeing the response and trying to decide, is this something we continue going forward I urge you just to try it and see if you like it. So, okay. 
I should probably get into the message now. Um, we're in Ephesians, the, the series I call One Church, One Mission, One Jesus. If this is your first time uh, here or you haven't been here for a while, uh, welcome, first of all, out there online, wherever you are in the world, welcome to this. We're, we're doing a deep dive into Paul's letter to the Ephesians, right, to the church in Ephesus. Uh, it's called an epistle in churchy speak, if you want something fancy to say to your friends. Um, it's all about how we are called to live a life reflective of who we are. It kind of builds on what we did when we studied James and in the body of Christ. Um, we are supposed to live a life that's reflective of that. And so this letter to the Ephesians is different than some of the other letters that Paul wrote. Most of the letters or epistles that Paul wrote, uh, Corinthians, Galatians, things like that, were written to churches to fix something that they were having trouble with. Basically to say, hey, you, you guys are, you've either strayed away from this, I need you to come back to the middle, or here's a problem you're having, let me help you solve that problem. That's most of what Paul wrote. But this letter to the Ephesians is a little bit different. First of all, he writes it from jail. He just sees in house arrest, some people use the term prison, uh, but it, it's essentially house arrest but he writes this in chapter 4, and we'll get there eventually, but Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, he just says, this is the reason why he's writing this letter. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Anybody here at all struggle with those things? Okay, I see a lot of some nervous shifting in the seats. I do. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. It's easier said than done. But this is what Paul is writing about. It's not a, it's not a correction of serious problems. It's more of a preemptive strike, if you will, just saying, hey, remember who you are and remember why we're here and remember that you're supposed to be different. So in the first week of this series... Excuse me, we heard Paul teach about what it meant to be predestined. Predestination is one of those things that causes so much conversation on both sides. Like, I don't understand it. Some people hear that and think it sounds exclusive. It sounds, um, it just sounds like a negative thing to a lot of people. Why should I even try if it's already predestined that I'm going to do this or that? But then, I think, I hope, we were able to get across the idea of how free will and the ability to make our own choices and being predestined by God to be adopted into his family as sons and daughters is just such an incredibly beautiful thing that is logical. If you take a minute to look at it, it's a beautiful thing and it's a logical thing. Then last week we talked about redemption. In Christ and what it meant to be redeemed. Remember the idea of apolotrosis, and, and it's not a dental disease. The word literally means redemption. Ephesians 1 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace. That word redemption is that apolotrosis, and it means literally buying back what was previously forfeited. 
that's what happens. Again, it's just so overwhelming how wonderful that gift is. And this good and just lavish, we talked, remember, we talked about the word lavish, the, the root word lavash, which just means like an outpouring, like a flood, a deluge, a torrent of, of good gifts given by the Father, chosen for you before the earth was ever even formed. I still, I'm still overwhelmed by that idea, but acceptance of that gift that free gift poured out to you leads to a full restoration of everything that God ever intended for you. Everything that the enemy ever wanted to steal from you or, or, or trick you out of or into giving it up, that leads to a full restoration, including a place at his table for all eternity. The gifts just keep pouring on, and it's outrageous how good he is to this. To us. So Paul opens up this epistle and he reminds them think about all the gifts that you're given here. And he, and he reminds them of this the idea of being predestined into God's family, adoption, grace, and then the idea of redemption that we talked about last week, right? So now we're going into one more gift given by his grace, and that's the idea of inheritance in Christ. Okay, so that's what we're talking about today. And, <coughs> excuse me, it's Ephesians 1, 11 to 14 is where we're going to be. Just a small little bite, but there's so much in here. And this, this letter, this section right here, is written to two different sets of people. Okay, there's the we also's and the you also's. Okay, hopefully it becomes clear in a minute. But listen to this. Remember, Paul, Paul was both a Jew and a Roman, which kind of put him in this place where he was able to talk with authority to two different sets of people. And he's using that in a unique way to talk to these people here. So let me read it for you. Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. I'll read that in its entirety, and then we'll go back and we'll talk about it. And the version that I use, by the way, is the NASB New American Standard if you have a different version, it might be worded slightly differently, but it's going to be the same idea. So in him, we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we were, who were first to hope in the Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Notice that Paul says to the praise of his glory twice. In, in just one, three verses here, he uses that phrase twice. We're going to talk about what that means in just a little bit. So let's dig in. Let's go into the first, the first verse there, Ephesians 1.11. Got it right here. In him, we also, there's the we also's, have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance to the plan of his will. So who, who's the we also's that he's talking to here? Anybody have any idea? 
It's not the Gentiles, actually. The Gentiles are going to be the you-alsos. The we-alsos are the Jewish people. We're going to see in the context here. I'll show you where that is. He's talking to the Jews here. The Gentiles, at the time, by the way, if you were in this church and you were listening to Paul talk about these things, right, you would probably hear this and go, here we go again. The Jews are all superior because they were there first and all, and they're probably on the edge of shutting down right here going, here we go again. They were used to those who were, were Jews thinking we're the chosen people. We're the chosen people of the covenant and, and you Gentiles, you're lucky to be here, right? So when Paul starts out the letter like this, they're probably kind of thinking like, okay, it's another one of those. But it's interesting, the deeper he goes into this, the more incredible it gets. Inheritance, by the way, when he talks about this, we have obtained an inheritance. Inheritance was a huge preoccupation in ancient cultures, okay? Today, kind of, but not like it was back then. Most people in ancient days, and in some cases even today, but but more so then, you were... You were born into whatever level your parents had achieved, right? Whatever occupation they had, um, whatever trade or business they were in. Um, if, if you were born poor, you probably stayed poor. If you were born well-off and well-connected, you probably stayed that way. Um, whatever your parents had achieved in their lifetime pretty much is where you would probably stay too. And in ancient Rome... Inheritance laws were extremely detailed and complicated and convoluted. You think our legal system today is convoluted? It probably is, even in comparison. But back then, um, Roman laws of inheritance created so much division, created so many problems, that his reference to inheritance, rather than to go, like if you said, hey, you've got an inheritance coming, you'd be like, I wonder what I'm going to get. Back then, if you said, okay, let's talk about your inheritance, they'd go, what's it going to cost me? What kind of court battle? What kind of fights am I going to have with my siblings? Let me explain it to you. In ancient Rome, again, their compilation of law books, the Romans had a very well-developed sense of law, and they called it the digest, okay? It was 50 books, 50 different law books. They called it the digest, right? And and you can actually see copies of this today. 11 of the 50 books, okay? Those math wizards out there can tell the percentage. 11 of the 50 books were dedicated to inheritance issues. Think about that, You've got 50 law books covering everything that could possibly come up in your culture, and 11 of them, I think that's roughly 20%. 22%. Thank you. 22% of all the law books that were written at that time were dedicated to inheritance issues. And there are some sources that say 60 to 70% of all Roman law cases brought before Roman courts involved inheritance issues. Think about that. If you knew you were getting into that kind of a problem and that kind of a, of a 
hornet's nest, the idea of an inheritance might not be as pleasant as you'd be thinking about right now. All children received an equal share of the estate by Roman law, okay? Think about what that meant. If you had 10 children, and it wasn't a society where, where the uh, firstborn boy got everything. All children got equal amounts. So can you imagine? It's not like there was just a bank account with $100, and how do we divide this five ways? Think about the land and, the, and everything that they could possibly have how do you evenly divide that equally between all kids? And law stated that. It wasn't just where the parent could go, you know what, I like this person better. I don't like those kids that much. So I'm going to divide it up the way I want. The law was everybody got equal shares. This is why it ended up in court all the time. And any inheritance that you had already received would be subtracted from the total that you were due at the end. So in other words, if you came to your, to your parent and said, hey, can I, have, can I have the ox cart because I want to start my own field? And he said, sure, you go ahead and take that. That'll be part of your inheritance. You had to subtract that from the total at the end when you were dividing things up. This is why inheritance was such a convoluted idea. It created so much infighting and bitterness among family members as they all jockeyed for position to make sure that they got what was due to them. The idea of equal inheritance not based on your earthly position was such a shift in their thinking that they had a hard time following what Paul's trying to say here. So let's go on. Ephesians 1.12, again, I'll read it in context. In verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. Okay, who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will. Verse 12, to the end that we who were the first to hope in the Christ would be to the praise of his glory. So there's the, there's the we. Jews were the first to hope in the Christ. Okay, They were the first to hear. Think about that. When, when Christ and his disciples went out to spread the message, the first thing they did was to go to the children of of, uh, of Israel, children of the house of Israel. Matthew, t- Matthew 10, 5 and 6, if you remember that issue back there, we talked about this months ago and several times. These 12, Jesus sent out, this is the disciples he's sending out to go spread the gospel. After instructing them, saying, do not go on a road to the Gentiles. In fact, specifically, stay away from the Gentiles. Don't enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, that was his first plan. Let's go to the house of Israel first. Let's share the gospel with them. So when Paul says, we who were the first to hear, he's talking to the Jews in the crowd. We were the first to hear. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting. Only later to the Gentiles, and again, Paul wrote Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first... And then also to the Greek. And Greek is just synonymous with Gentiles and and everybody else, really. And we know from history, if you've paid any attention, unfortunately, most Jews rejected and continued to reject Christ as the Messiah. So the, the question is, how could that be to God's glory? To the end that we were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. How is 
an entire group of people rejecting Christ to his glory. That's a head-scratcher kind of, isn't it? How could it be to his glory? I think at the time, especially at the time, they could not have seen God's plan for inclusion of the Gentiles. We can see it now. We've heard stories. We've heard teaching. We know that this is how it works. If you're sitting here and you're a Gentile, then you're probably pretty happy about that. But one of the things that God worked for his glory was the refusal of most Jews to accept Christ. He used that for his glory to accomplish his purposes. And I think that we praise God's glory most when we trust in the things that we can't see and we trust in the things that we'll never understand. I think when we trust those things and we trust him as a good and gracious God, that is when we praise his glory the most, just through our lives. Now, okay, so that was the, that was the you. That was the you's, now the you also's. Or the, the we also, sorry. I was going to go back, and I thought, no, I'll just remember. No. That was the we also's. Now we're going to talk about the you also's. Now who's the you also's? That'd be the Gentiles. That'd be everybody else, right? <clears throat> Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's a good thing that he's talking about there. Having believed, you were sealed. Paul tells the Romans, Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. So having heard, you believed and you were then sealed. That's how it works. Believing comes first. Anybody know someone who insists on knowing how it all works? Show me how everything fits together, how it all works, how it all logically makes sense, and then maybe I'll believe. That's not how it works in the kingdom. Believing comes first. You can't get the guarantee first and then believe. You believe first, then receive the guarantee that's how it works. In the time of Christ, when it, when it says you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit, the idea of a seal, especially back then in ancient days, was a mark on a scroll or some sort of manuscript indicating that it was authentic, right? So we've all seen these pictures, right? This image of a scroll. This is just, it just happened to be the best picture I could grab that didn't have a hundred copyright laws uh, on it. That's basically a scroll. It would, be, it would be wax or it would be sap or something that would seal it. And you would typically, if you're important enough to do this, you would have either a ring or a stamp that had your symbol on it. You would heat it up and you would emboss that. that and that sealed that letter or that scroll. And so when a king or a dignitary or somebody important wanted to um, show that it was authentic he would send it that way. He would seal it and send it out. That's how it worked. It protected against theft, against somebody reading it that wasn't supposed to. Um, it indicated verified ownership and that it was 
authentic. And the person carrying that scroll carried the authority of the person who wrote it. So anywhere that they went, they were safe to go as long as that they, they were carrying that. Being sealed with the Holy Spirit is what we're talking about here, though. This is what Paul is telling these people. When you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, it indicates that you're authentically His, carrying His authority everywhere that you go. This is what Paul is talking about. Like, you were sealed with Him, so you carry His authority. You're authentically His, and people should be able to see that seal in you and on you and know that you belong to Him. So this is what he's telling the Ephesians. Now, here's where it gets a little bit interesting. Well, it's all interesting, right? Yes. Gets more interesting, a higher level. We're going to 11 here. A little Spinal Tap reference for those of you who... Ephesians 1.14. Who is a first installment? Let me go back to 12 and re, or 13. Re, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation... Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now verse 14, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. There's that praise of his glory again. Let's talk about the idea of a first installment. Because what do you think of when you think of first installment? That there's another installment, right? You're not paid off yet. What did you say? Down payment, right? So some versions say down payment instead of first installment or a promise or a deposit. I don't know, anybody have a version that says anything else? Pledge, okay, pledge, perfect. Anybody have a version that says earnest? Some versions use the word earnest. First installment, pledge, promise, down payment, deposit, earnest. It's all the same root. If you go back and look at the Greek word, it's all the same Greek word, and it's Arabon. Arabon, the definition is, listen to the definition of first installment. Advance payment that guarantees that the rest will be given, representing full security backed by the purchaser who supplies sufficient proof that they will and are able to fulfill the entire promise. So when God gave you the Holy Spirit as a first installment of things to come, that is his promise, that I am willing and I am able to give you the rest in due time. Now let's talk about the difference. First of all, if that's the first installment, what's the final installment? Anybody know? When Jesus comes back, It's complete and final deliverance from earthly decay, the power of sin. We gain eternal life. We gain a seat at his table in a new and resurrected body. That's the final installment. And the Holy Spirit given to you is a promise that that's coming. That's incredible to me. That I Think about all the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you, the gifts of the Spirit all the fruits of the Spirit, all the things that come our way here on earth is just a deposit of the fullness to come. That gives me goosebumps to think about that. Now let's talk about the difference between earnests. Everybody 
anybody put earnest money down on a house? That's where that comes from. Deposits, installments, promises, down payments, all those things. Let's think about the difference. Anybody remember layaway? Remember, remember this? It was always this counter in the back of the store. It was like dark, and you'd take your stuff back there. And I don't know who that guy is, but he was always hanging out when I went there with my mom, right? It was always in the back of Kmart. You'd take your things, whatever you wanted to buy, and you'd go back, and you would give them physically to the people at the layaway counter, and you would give them a certain amount of money. Okay, this happens to be Kmart, I think, but Sears did it. I think JCPenney did it. A lot of stores used to do it. I don't know if anybody does it anymore. But you would go back there, you'd give them your things, and you'd give them some money. You'd give them a down payment, a first installment. But what did you do with your stuff? Did you walk away with your shirt and wear it or your television or whatever it was? You left it there. It lived there until you paid it off. You didn't get to start enjoying it right away. And with layaway, there was always some conditions may apply. You had to put a certain amount down. You had to make regular payments. Anybody ever make regular payments on something and then forget one? What happens? You don't get your stuff. And you don't get your money back either. It goes away. Sometimes complicated payment schedules balloon payments, I mean, all these different conditions that applied to make it more difficult to comply with. But with this, this isn't layaway. This is a deposit. This is a down payment. This is a guarantee, an earnest, a first installment. That means you can start enjoying the benefits immediately. You don't have to wait until there and then when you receive the fullness of it or when we pay it off somehow based on all the conditions. The condition is that you say yes to it, you receive the deposit, and you immediately begin enjoying the benefits of having that deposit in you until the day comes when we receive the fullness of what is to come. We've, we've talked extensively about the gifts of the Spirit. We've talked extensively about the fruits of the Spirit and all the power of healing and prophecy and all the different things that come along with that. Think about those things as just being a small sample of what's to come. I can't wait. The scripture tells us on earth as it is in heaven, joy, peace, full and complete fellowship with God, with nothing separating. The process for the Ephesians then, that Paul's trying to tell them about, is the same process of today. The same process. They heard, they believed, and they were sealed. You hear, you believe, you're sealed. It's that simple, and it's also that hard. Because it's our job to make sure that people hear. Had a long conversation with a gentleman yesterday, uh, a professed um, agnostic. And I had to keep reminding myself that, that 
it's not up to me to make the light bulb come on in his head. It's just up to me to make sure that he has heard. And hopefully heard in a way that's not a bludgeon to his head that, you know, that makes him feel wounded forever. In a life-giving, loving way, we just make sure that they hear. And the Holy Spirit will do the rest. That is how we can live to the praise of his glory. It doesn't mean when, when Christ and the disciples went out and they shared the news with the Jews first, they did not believe, but that also was to the praise of God's glory, knowing that it was a part of his plan. When we share the gospel, we don't have to see the end result to be able to know that we are living to the praise of his glory by sharing something that they may reject at first. We just need to make sure they hear. And that's how we do it. I think, again, we praise his glory most when we trust in the things that we can't see and we trust in the things that we may never understand. And we're living his glory here today. When we're here, seeking his word and seeking fellowship with the body, seeking to find our place in the body, we live to his glory when we do that. It's not about what we have to gain. It's about living this passage out from Paul. C.S. Lewis said this, again, my favorite quote machine. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. What that means to me is if we fix our eyes then, not on our earthly circumstance, not what's on happening here today, but on Jesus and the promise that is to come and the deposit that we have already given guaranteeing that promise. When we do that, then we live a life on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Thank you, guys. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful of the gift of the Holy Spirit deposited in me. And I just... I repent of those times where I don't live my life as if I have received anything. I repent of those times where I lament what I don't have more than celebrate what I do have. So Father, help me to see what a gift it is to have your spirit reside inside me, the power of the Holy Spirit available to me the power of being a part of your body going out into this world to accomplish what you, what you desire for us. So Father, I'm, I'm just thankful and I'm humbled that you use me to accomplish your will. And I pray that you continue to use all of us to accomplish your will. Let us go through this day and every day with an awareness of Everything that you do in our lives is just a deposit of what's to come. Help us to see that. Help us to praise that in everything that we do. In your name, we pray, amen. Amen, thank you. Guys, we're gonna take communion right now. If you can say yes to that, the deposit to the Holy Spirit in you, I am thankful for that, I am thankful for Christ, then I invite you to take communion with us. We'll have two stations, one right over here, and one over here that have, will have wine there and bread and gluten-free crackers. You just dip it in, and that's how 
We'll do it up here. And in the back, if you don't want wine or if you want to serve yourself, we have juice in the back available there. Um, Do that. Another thing that we have here is that we have people who are dedicated for prayer. And whether that's prayer for healing, prayer for finances, prayer for an open heart to hear what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you, a prayer to accept Christ for the first time. Maybe you've heard this message for the first time and you're like, you know what, I just need to quit trying to figure it out. I just need to say yes and accept the gift. If that's you, we have prayer team in the back. Look for somebody with a lanyard standing back there. They'll pray for you. Let's take advantage of this time to celebrate who he is and more importantly, who he says that we are. Amen? Thank you, guys.